Well, for those of you who are still here after my first special, today we're going to talk about backstory creation, going stats first, being lenient without breaking the game, and how to be a good rules lawyer. This is Dungeon Man Dragon Master. It's the Dragon Master! So I've said for a while that D&D is a group storytelling exercise and not so much specifically a game but at the end of the day it is a game and if you don't have fun playing the game then you're not going to want to tell the story so there's kind of a balance there and I want to just get into how to handle that balance without leaning too far one way or the other it's good to know that you're going to like the character you're playing uh, but a good story and no fun means losing interest in the game, in the story, in all of it. Uh, and that all includes the background. So let's kind of go through that a second. So step one, build the character sheet, right? If you're really super into your stats and you want to make sure that you're playing the game and then, you know, it's going to be fun and interesting all the time, no matter what's happening in the story, build your character sheet first. Do the race, do the class, get your stats, even to the background. Get all of that stuff figured out because that's the stuff that's going to make the game element specifically for you and for your teammates, but more or less for you. This is We just care about you for right now. And do the starter equipment, too. Get, get everything figured out right away mechanically. Get all that stuff done and out of the way right away. Don't care anymore. Good? Good. Now, after that, let's find the thing and make it make sense. Now, what do I mean by the thing? A lot of times a character is built off of a specific something that you might find in your character sheet, whether it's... Uh, your background and your class not necessarily matching. Are you, for example, the archaeologist background and your class is barbarian? What? How does that work, right? Could that be your the thing? Do you start with an interesting item? There are a lot of backgrounds that have like an interesting thing you start with, the, the least of which not being haunted one, right? There are a lot of those backgrounds and even classes that start with just an interesting something, Maybe we can use that something to build our story. Do you have an interesting stat layout? For example, are you a wizard with a 16 in strength and a an 8 in intelligence? Mind you, that's probably going against our start ca character sheet first situation, but whatever. Let's say that's the way you wanted to build it, right? What about that? Uh, maybe your race is a less common race in the world. Now, before you get too far into that, make sure your party's on board with it. I know that can cause some problems, but these are all things that we can start with when it comes to taking our mechanical character and creating a backstory that makes sense and is interesting and compelling, right? Find your the thing. And then all you have to do is answer those whys in your head. If your background and your class don't match, well, why? What what made that archaeologist want to be a barbarian? Or what made that barbarian want to be an archaeologist? You get to decide all those things for yourself. And the thing is, the human brain is programmed to do this. I, I know there have been a lot of studies on it, and maybe a lot of people don't know about it, but the human brain is designed to make sense of things that don't make sense. That's why every so often you'll see faces in pictures. Well, the brain is designed to see faces. I, uh, I am a bit of a magician. I like to focus on mentalism. 
And mentalism works because your brain will put together the pieces. Now, and I'm not going to give anything away right now because, you know, a magician never reveals the secrets. But the reason that a mentalist can mess with your head is because your head messes with itself and will create those answers. Same with ventriloquism. We, the, I'm not going to give away the secrets of ventriloquism either. But the reason that you hear what you hear from a ventriloquist is because your brain is making sense of it. And, of course, the biggest scam of all time is fortune tellers being able to... I can tell you a future. Well, okay. If everything in your future is generic, your brain is going to find reasons that that's happening. One of the big ones that I get upset about right now is that people talking about how all your technology is always listening. And every, I talked about this one time and then I saw ads for it. All right. Let's break this down. If you type something into Google, yes, Google AdSense will give you ads based on the thing that you typed. That's 100% true. Everything always listening come on guys, you're seeing that because you talked about it. If I mention a cruise or something, I'm going to start noticing cruises. There's a name for it. I don't remember what it is, but it's a legitimate psychological thing. The human brain is designed to make sense of all that stuff. You can just take those things and put them together and build your why. And for the most part, don't worry about the other players or the DM. Just allow the puzzle pieces to fit. If it makes sense for you that your druid became an archaeologist because one time he stumbled upon some ruins. Who cares if the DM has ruins built into the game? It doesn't matter. The only thing is that it makes sense to you. Because as long as it makes sense to you, you're going to be able to create the backstory from that. And again, once you create that backstory, then the rest of the game is going to make more sense. Just dig into those weird things and go for it. And just as a quick exercise, I want to go through just a basic example for each of the classes, for what could work with any backstory creating the class. Alphabetical order. Start with the artificer. Why would one become an artificer no matter what their background? Probably a combination of imagination and intelligence. Someone who's just pretty smart thinking, you know, I could probably, and using that imagination to create things that would help solve an issue here or there. A barbarian. Barbarians might start Start with anger issues. And instead of saying, I'm going to go to therapy to solve my anger issues. No, I'm going to use my anger. I'm going to make sure it works for me. And that's where your fighting capabilities came from. There are other things you could do, but that's one example. The bard. Let's skip the generic I love music bard because there are multiple types of bard. So what's a reason that one might become a bard Without that, well, maybe just a love of gossip. You know, in the times when bards existed, their job was kind of like the reporter of the town. Maybe you like to spread gossip. Maybe the songs that you write are about something that happened, and now you're actually a newscaster, right? There are ways to do that. I'm going to add in the Blood Hunter because it's on D&D Beyond, and if it's on D&D Beyond, I allow it in my games. Uh, a mutual respect for the enemy. No matter what happened in your backstory, if you have a mutual respect for the power your enemy has, but you want to use it against them, Blood Hunter, basically it. The Cleric. A life-changing moment caused directly by a god of your pantheon. Done. Good enough to want to give your life to devoting to this god, right? Good call. Druid, life-changing moment caused directly by nature. Again, a lot of ways you could play it. That's just a generic something. Uh, for a fighter, it could just be a love of sport. Again, an archaeologist fighter, interesting concept. But if that archaeologist also just is a sportsman, right, loves sports, loves the combat and all that stuff, well, that makes sense to become a fighter. A monk, 
generally speaking, a monk is just someone who strives for the perfection of body and mind. So if ever you've got a character similar to that, your backstory can just be how you found, I don't know, a monastery or, or how you found your desire to strive for perfection of body and mind. Paladins, I like to say that paladins uh, have a love of servitude. Uh, so maybe, again, maybe it might be directly related to a specific god of your pantheon. Maybe the god of your pantheon is just part of the town where you grew up, and therefore you want to serve that god and everyone around you. Well, there you go. Uh, a ranger, generally somebody who wants to suck at the game. Uh, a rook, no, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, rangers, uh, I would think it's somebody more about the land than it is anything else. It's uh, not necessarily as magical, but they found a thing and are interested in exploring more than anything else. And sucking at the game. Uh, the rogue, they you probably don't need my help with the rogue. You're a sneaky guy. You'll figure that one out. Any Anything can be a rogue. You're a rogue. Uh, a sorcerer. Sorcerers are kind of easy because a sorcerer can be a quick switch in your story because uh, you just maybe stumbled upon your power at that point. A warlock, generally a strive for power. Whatever that background is, why are they striving for power? And then how they found their patron, well, that's up to you. And a wizard, of course, is an obsession with gaining knowledge. In one way or another, no matter what your background is, that's what they strive for. So, see if this process works for you. Start uh, character first and go from there. I have talked about being lenient as a DM before, and I think it's a really important thing to do, especially with keeping your team on your side, like making your, your players agree with whatever you say. If you have that little bit of leniency, it's just a more fun game. Again, there aren't a lot of direct mechanics that affect the game outside of the things that the DM controls. So I think it's a good idea, and I just want to talk about it a bit. Let's let's get into the why first. Why be lenient at all? Uh, well, we show the players we're not against them. It tells the players playing the game, look, the DM is not your enemy. The DM is just the physics in general, and we should all be on the same team and just go with what they say because I promise you that's going to make the best story. It also allows for story because people aren't so focused on the specifics of the mechanics. You know, I'll, I'll get into it all later, but is 5.1 feet close enough for melee? If not, then they're going to have to focus exactly on their angle and every specific quarter or tenth of a foot that they move just to make sure. That, that's just, that's a lot to get through. And showing that leniency allows them to focus on the story. Okay, I'm going to run up and attack this guy. Uh, yeah, you're close enough. You do that. Cool. Wait, uh, wow, I attacked. It's great. So that's a that's just some whys. Some here's why we should do this. So let's talk about some things to remember. Um, everyone gets the same benefits. Your monk doesn't get different leniency than your fighter, doesn't get different leniency than your sorcerer, than your warlock, than your druid, etc., etc. Uh, the only one you can give different benefits to is the ranger because we hate rangers. No, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. But we're not changing rules. Let's keep that in mind. We're, we're, not, we're not going in and making house rules. We're just being lenient with what's already there. And the biggest one, and I cannot stress this enough, once you show leniency... You can't take it away. Once you've already said 5.1 is close enough for a melee attack, then if somebody is at 5.1, they're close enough. And I know that sounds like changing the rules, but we just have to remember that you can't be a stickler about something once and leaning about it next time without a really good reason. 
So we'll get into all that in a minute. Okay, so here's some ways to do it. Um, there's two that I can think of that the party will never see that you're being lenient on. Uh, the first one I'm going to say is like hidden enemy placement. Sometimes I plan hidden enemies. Um, they're they're hiding in a bush or they're somewhere you can't see them in the rafters or they're invisible, whatever. Um, and sometimes I like to plan for them to be in strategic places even after I've already put them where I think they go in the world. So for example, maybe my six hidden goblins aren't going to jump out directly at the wizard. Maybe they're going to jump out at the barbarian or at the fighter wearing heavy armor. You know what I mean? Like sometimes it's just, I'll give it to you. You've built it a certain way. I'm not going to try to murder the wizard right away. We'll hide them in a spot that's a little nicer, right? That That's one way. Um, the big one that the party can't see for me is DC leniency. Uh, DC, of course, being difficulty class. Uh, it's not just setting a low DC. It's not like, oh, you want to convince somebody who's in love with this person to murder them? That's a DC 10. Nothing like that. I like to make people roll more often than most. And I sometimes just think a roll is just impress me, right? I don't need you to roll a 17. I don't need you to roll a 15, a 20, a 25, right? I don't even really need you to roll a 10. Just impress me, right? How well can you do? A lot of times I'll say, roll this, and I'll have no idea what the DC is. And once I see the roll, I'll be like, eh, that's enough. Is that always the best idea? No, there are things that should be pretty set in stone what the DC is, but sometimes I do that just for fun. Um, and for the most part, for me anyway, those roles aren't really necessary. I just want to give them a chance to fail. <laughs> want to give them a chance to get that, you know, that crit fail out of the way so that later on they don't have it, right? I know it's superstition, but whatever, that that kind of thing. Uh, it's just a nice way to, to make them think they accomplished something when really the thing they accomplished was slash R space 1D20 plus 3, right? That's all. And now let's talk about the ways you can be lenient that the party can see. The first one I want to talk about is advantage. Uh, if a player does something to aid the action they want to do, I give them advantage. It makes sense, right? Oh, you did a thing? Good job. Here's some advantage. And, you know, that's that's lenient because, well, I wanted you to succeed in that. So, yeah, that's good. Uh, or if they do a really good job at explaining something, that's more of a reward. But, again, I like to give advantage when I want them to succeed in something. Oh, you want to pick this lock? And inside that lock is a bunch of treasure that I've been waiting to give you for three dungeons, but you've missed it every time, so I keep putting it into the next dungeon, you jerk. Yeah, I'll give you advantage on that. That's fine. It's just one of those leniency things that we can let them know, yep, I want you to succeed. It's not about me versus you. I want you to succeed. Um, the other one is inspiration, right? If they follow their flaw or they role play very well, you give that inspiration. Um, and that's also something I like to give, you know, birthday inspiration and Christmas inspiration and, oh, you're a new player inspiration, right? Like I, I maybe I throw around inspiration too much. I don't think I do. You don't always have it at all times, but it's a thing that I can use. It's a way to give that little bit of leniency. Yeah, you know what? You got inspiration. Good job on that. And now they can use a thing later to do a little better. The one that I've been hinting at a lot through this segment has been my concept of, yeah, you're fine. And that's just like the, the extent of leniency in my head. It, you know, is 5.1 feet close enough for melee? You have 30-ish feet of movement. If you go 30.6 
it's whatever. For the most part, I play online. Not that I don't play in person. We usually get together, but it's very easy to use something like Roll20 to keep track of placement and dice rolling and things. Your measurement and your moving your token are kind of different. So yeah, if you move 30.2 feet, it, it it's 30 enough. I don't need to spend an extra minute and a half trying to make sure you moved exactly 30 and no more. Yeah, it's, it's fine. There's an element of caution to bring to this concept, though, in that somebody might try to turn it into a rule change. I get it if you want to say, you know, 5.1 is close, 5.7 isn't close enough, maybe there's a chasm and you don't want to allow too much, you know, I can I get that there's other reasons, but if you forever in a day say, oh yeah, 5.5 is still 5, or we're rounding a specific way, right? Now you're changing a rule and now somebody can go against that. So if you eventually say, no, you can't swing 5.2 feet across that chasm, they say, but you said we were rounding down, right? So that's just a thing to keep track of and make sure that we're staying consistent while allowing that leniency. And the other, yeah, you're fine, would be seeing the token's arm, meaning they're not in full cover, right? Unless it's specifically stated otherwise that they are hiding and I just don't have the ability to change the token. It's like, oh, they're coming around a corner. Well, I can see their arm. Yeah, all right, it's three quarters cover. Or if you're sharpshooter, yeah, all right, you can hit them, right? I got a player who has sharpshooter, right? If you can see the token, yeah, all right, you can hit him. It's fine. Like I don't really care if everyone always gets the jump at all times. They get to do the thing that they've built to do. A sharpshooter is supposed to be able to hit things in three-quarter cover. So why would I try and hide everything even if you can see the arm, even if they're sticking out a little bit? Well, they're sticking out a little bit. That's not full cover anymore. And the last one that I like to do for being lenient is retroactive correction. This is something that I like to do, especially with new players. And assuming it doesn't change too much of what has happened since, but I like to let people go back and change things. Oh, I forgot I could do that as my reaction. Okay, yeah, you did it as your reaction. Go ahead and roll for it, right? Um, Circle of Spores Druid is a good example, close to my mind right now. If you've got a Circle of Spores Druid, they forgot to do their reaction damage when something came close. Yeah, all right, go ahead. It's an extra D8. Now, if a whole bunch of stuff has happened since then, and that had the potential to have killed that thing, nope, too much. But it's just something that's nice to be able to say, oh, oh, I forgot that this thing was a thing I could do. Yeah, right, you can go back and fix it. It, it. It's just a nice way to let people know that we're all on the same side and no one's trying to get the jump on somebody else or, or, or gotcha anybody, right? We're all a team. We're all trying to play the same game. So try and be a little lenient. See, see how far that gets for you. Maybe your party will just be a little bit more lenient with you next time as well. Rules lawyer, one of the worst and best things you can be called in D&D. I think rules lawyering is a really good thing, but... Also, it gets a bad reputation. So I want to just go over it, and I want to say what it takes to be a good rules lawyer. Let's talk about what it actually is. Some people like to say it's a person who abuses the rules. They understand the rules very well, but they don't necessarily enforce them as much when it doesn't suit them to enforce the rules that much. Or they just so happen to let somebody or a DM or whatever enforce a rule that isn't correct because it benefits them more, right? That's a bad rules lawyer. I don't call that person a rules lawyer. 
I call that person a jerk. Um, I say that a rules lawyer is just a hardcore rules as written person. I claim to be a rules lawyer from that definition in that even if it doesn't benefit me, even if it's a party member and the DM is letting him do something, I'll still bring up the rule. You know, the rule is actually this, guys. But why? Why is that good? Doesn't that suck when when the DM's about to miss something and you're going to, oh, well, let's remember, we're all on a team here. I don't want the DM to suffer any more than I want my party to suffer. So we have to be aware of these things and we have to allow for it. So let's talk about good rules lawyering. First of all, why would you want to be a rules lawyer? Well, it keeps a comfortable level of consistency between games. Assuming that one DM is very, very knowledgeable about the rules and another DM doesn't really know the rules that well, we can keep that level of consistency. Hey, this is the rule of the game. It doesn't matter who's the DM or who's where, but that's just a thing. So we get to keep that consistency between whatever game you're playing. It's always the same. And if the rules are always the same, nobody has to take time out of playing to decipher the discrepancies. This is another reason why I'm against most house rules and quite a bit of homebrew type things. Because when you get to a different game, it's the same as it was before. Imagine playing a Mario game, but every time you turn on the game, the same game, it changes the rules. Eh, that's going to get annoying after a while. I know how to play Mario. I want to play that Mario game. That's why I turned on the Mario game, so I can play that game. So that consistency, I, I feel like both of those things are consistency. But again, that's the point there. Um, and everyone forgets things, right? It's nice when more people can quickly pick up on what the rules are and come up with them. So if my DM's like, oh, God, I, I, I don't know how to handle this. I can say, if I were you, I would do this. And then they can say, I hear what you're saying. I don't want to. Or they can say, you're right. That's the way the rules would be. It's just nice if somebody can come up with it so that no one specifically has to. And again, the game is more fair when everyone agrees on a specific rule set. Giving rules lawyers a bad name. Well, I talked about it in the beginning, but it's selective rules lawyering. You don't get to just rules lawyer when it benefits you. You have to rules lawyer everything. Is it a rule or is it not a rule? And if it is, follow it. Everybody follows the same rules, even you. And the other one that gives rules lawyers a bad name, and this I guess is, I mean, anyone can, but I guess it's more of a, uh, a trait of a rules lawyer, which is fighting the DM. Look, man, I get it that the DM might be incorrect about a thing, but they get final say, period. And I hate using that as a DM, but not every DM's going to hate doing that. And furthermore, even if the DM does hate doing that, when it happens, it happens for a reason. So that's enough ranting. Let's talk about how to be a good and healthy rules lawyer. Number one, accept that you might be wrong and be willing to look up the answer. Look, everyone makes mistakes. Everyone gets things wrong. It doesn't mean that you have to fight for, no, but this is the way that I remember it. Don't worry about that. If you say, I'm pretty sure this is it. I could be wrong about that. Let me look it up for you. You guys keep playing. I'll, I'll figure this out for you. If the DM doesn't like that you do that, don't do that. But be willing to do that. Be like, hey, uh, DM, I think it's this, but I'll, I'll look it up if you want. And they might go, yeah, do that, thanks. And then we can move on, right? That, that's a nice, that's a service you can do for the game as opposed to a disservice. Um, the one that I think is really important is study wording. Um, each versus one versus any versus of your choice, right? Understand the verbiage that Wizards is using so that you can go about it that way. And of course, 
per turn versus nothing. One of the things that breaks the Echo Knight so much is that you get to make your Echo as a bonus action. It doesn't say once per turn, except for it does because it's a bonus action. It doesn't say once per game. It doesn't say once per short rest, per long rest. No, you just get to do that. That's wording that you need to be ready to work with. Another way to be the healthy rules lawyer, and we kind of talked about it a minute ago, but surrender to the DM. Just surrender to the DM. If it's something that the DM says, then that's it. But keep track of it because that's what the new rule is, right? And don't insist upon leniency. Let the DM do that, right? The DM gets to be that lenient or the DM gets to be that much of a stickler. It's your job just to make sure that if a rule has been stated, it is followed. So things to keep in mind. We do not rules lawyer to get our way. We do it to keep the game fair and consistent. Have I said consistent enough yet? Because I'll say it a couple more times if you'd like. We rules lawyer to make sure that everybody gets to play the game in the same manner and no one has an unfair advantage or disadvantage. And so that the DM can't necessarily screw anybody over. Should we trust our DM not to do that? Yes. Can it be done accidentally? Yes. It's just a thing to keep track of. And uh, rules change. That's a thing to keep in mind. The DM has the power to change a rule. If I were you, Captain Rules Lawyer... Keep track of those rule changes. That way, you can at least stay consistent between sessions for that game. And the final thing to keep track of, and I cannot state this enough, the argument is not worth the game. If you're outnumbered, let it go. If you're saying, look, this is the way it is in the book, and the DM says, I'd rather do this, and everybody at the table says, yeah, I like that better, it's not worth it to explain why they're wrong. They are wrong, but it's not worth explain. It's not worth explaining it. It's not worth the time. Just play the game. Let it go. That's your new rule, and you can work with it that way. And hey, if it's really that bad of a rule, start abusing it. If you're hurting the game and making everybody upset, stop. Even if the DM is ruining the game, it's a conversation you can have later, right? If they're legitimately using a fake rule that everyone thinks is blah blah whatever, well, oh darn, you're gonna have to just have that conversation with them later. Hey, you know, I get that you're doing this, but like, look at what it does. Uh, you know, someone's built a character around that. Now those parts of them are useless. We need to, you know, we are people. We can have conversations. So I hope that uh, you rules lawyers out there have learned a little something or other. And I hope that you non-rules lawyers can, uh, you know, take the D&D bar uh, and I'll see you on the other side. Hey, thanks for listening. If you wouldn't mind, go ahead and leave a review and follow wherever you listen to your podcast. And you can also join my Discord, which is in my description. And go ahead and check out DungeonManDragonMaster.com, and I will see you next time. That was the Dragon Master. Oh.